um, we did find ourselves in that weird space of like silence with each other and thinking, um, I, I really like you. I just don't have anything to say. To you. <laughs> <laughs> like come up with a question, but I think you're cute. <laughs> I don't really know. Sorry. There's nothing more There's nothing. I'm interested in your life. Right. Basically. <laughs> We're sad. We're we got a like, long road trip here. We're, but we've been married that long. We're back to, I just think you're cute. Um, <laughs> okay, let's do this. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Are you ready? I'm ready. Love or work. Is anyone listening? No, don't put that on the air. These two people are really, really funny. This one made me cry. World Series champion. Around the entire world. NBA all-star. We hope you love this interview as much as we did. Love or work. Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Love Work is a big project that you and I started um, well over a year ago now. Our hope is to interview over 100 couples on this topic of love and work, asking the question, is it possible for both of us to be living out our purpose and stay in love and raise a healthy family? And today we got to interview some friends that we had dinner with literally two years ago and have implemented things they've taught us the last two years. And I think they were surprised at all funny, the things yeah. that we had remembered. So today is Todd and Beverly Sandell. And Todd is the founder of the South City Group. He's basically a business coach and marriage and family therapist. And then Beverly um, leads the marketing and development of their current project called Defy Drift, which we'll definitely talk more about during well, a, the interview. It's a fun card game we did last night together, actually. Yeah. So it's conversation cards. Conversation cards. So, um, did you like our conversation last night? <laughs> yes. Yes. The question is, did I like the conversation? Yeah. Uh, I feel like the t- it got turned around on me. What? <laughs> uh, first of all, any conversation between us is always intense. Basically, like when you get like deeper and honest. Mm. We we kind of have this like intensity about us in our conversations. So yeah, I'm looking to make it a little lighter. <laughs> well, you asked the question. Mm, man. So they were so fun. We have so much content from them. I agree. They have given us so many new ways to think about our family. Like think like really proactively thinking about how we intentionally engage our kids for the long run. I mean, I think that is like the theme of who they are. They are so intentional Mm. about all the things and it just is inspiring. It's inspiring. This is so different. It's so different because you're going to walk away going, huh, maybe we need to rethink how we approach raising our children. Yeah. And lots of different aspects. I mean, from allowance to, um, to chores, to com- you know, family meetings. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are like crazy intentional. Mm-hmm. I feel like their kids, when they turn 18, they walk out the door, they are going to be prepared with money. They're going to be prepared with how to travel and navigate. They're going to be prepared with how to deal with technology and relationships. World experience. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're doing things today that are going to impact their kids and their kids, kids. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So here's the three things I would list to. Number one is the Amtrak road. I guess it's not a road trip. It's a track trip. Train trip. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Amtrak. Keep going. Number two, the pink cards. Which is what we use. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you have any thoughts on the pink cards? Which again, you're trying to bring up again. Which you number three. 
What does it mean to be a citizen of the family? This term has really helped us, and yes. we want to share it with you um, in this interview. So here they are, Todd and Beverly Sandell. How do we fall in love? <laughs> Probably all the all the ways that most guys would, and and that's not she was. Yeah, she I was. Hot. We were. I was attracted to great. her. We, we met, and <laughs> thank you. I wanted to be, deeper, was, deeper, deeper, like deeper, 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 deeper. We got set up on a match for a debutante ball. Which oh. sounds crazy. Down in the, the whole debutante society in Houston, Texas, which we weren't a part of. I was the single youth pastor that all the moms wanted to make sure I was not single anymore. And so they put me on a match list. And Beverly and all her friends were getting debuted. And so we got matched. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the... I have no idea what you're talking about. Because this is like a Southern cultural phenomenon I'm I'm unaware of. It's even worse because I feel like it's Texan cultural phenomenon. Yeah. It's even more crazy than Southern. (laughs) You know, Texas is its own country. But wait, how old are you? Is this high school or is this college? I don't... College. I was 21. Okay. And, um, yeah, we were set up, basically we were set up on a blind date and, um, but you got to dress up so fancy. You dress up so fancy. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I did not grow up in the church, so I had never even been on a date with anybody who ever went to a church or much less worked for a church. So that was like the crazy, like, who is this guy that I got set up with? That's a pastor. <laughs> like a super nerd and like, <laughs> you know, couldn't get a date or whatever. So I'm going with this guy and um, he comes to pick me up and he walks around the corner in his tux. And I did, that's how I totally was like, oh, he's so hot. Oh my uh, God. Like, I wasn't expecting that. So. I like the story. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so it was kind fun. of, um, we danced the night away and it really was kind of love at first sight. So that's, um, but I was the sort of the scandal was that I, I am, I'm much younger than Todd. So uh, I mean, yeah. so, <laughs> what's the age difference? Six years. Six years. Six years. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're like 20 and 26, yeah, I mean, she was in college. That yeah. was like, you know, that's kind little, of a scandal. You know, a little yeah. Bit. Yeah. yeah. And it just, it's from that first date, you guys just hit it off and it was like, it was, you were you a thing. You kept dating, this, this just progressed. It really did. Yeah. It, it's so funny. Um, yeah, I'll ask you were this. a junior in college. Yeah. So. It, which is crazy. Like oh, I told yeah. well, now who got married so early. I'm like, I wouldn't recommend it, but, um, we did, we got it. it we got, um, yeah, we dated until I graduated from college, which was crazy. And then we got married pretty much right after I graduated from college. So, um, and you've been married how many years now? It'll be 20 years Come in out. December. Oh, wow. fun. Do you have a big plan for your 20th anniversary? We, yeah. We've been del- been deliberating about several, you know, whether we want to do a ski trip in the mountains or uh, go to a couple surf camp down in Costa Rica. So that's kind uh-huh. of, that's kind of leading. Wow. Those are like opposites right there. Yeah. Opposites. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how we how communicate. We are. we are opposites. It is just um, even our honeymoon was like that. We yeah. did a hot and a cold. I had her pack one hot bag and one cold bag, and she didn't know where we were going to go. And we actually went to both places. So yeah. we. Uh, That's so <laughs> fun. So who's yeah. the hot beach one, and who's the cold mountains? Yeah, I'm Ski, hot mountain skiing. I am beach, and she's beach. Yeah, 
That's so funny. A hot bag and a cold bag. <laughs> I didn't know where we were going, and we yeah, ended up going to both. So. so is yeah. that like a common thing? Like the surprise? Is that part of your relationship? Like that she didn't she didn't know what you're gonna do for the honeymoon. You just said bring these clothes, and is that something you guys have always done? Is that part of the fabric of I, keeping things interesting? It's a great question. I think it's last night when we were sitting on the front porch and thinking through a few of these questions, um, and we're thinking love story. What was it? The glue, the kind of like what I like to think about when I'm talking to couples is what's their, what got, what made them sticky? Yeah. What got you sticky? What's the glue that helped you stick together? There's an adhesive. That's an inherent thing in your relationship. And I think Jeff, for us, there was a sense of, uh, playful playfulness novelty even that night at the debutante we actually left pretty early in the evening and changed our clothes because i'm not a tux guy she was like oh yeah i don't i don't like all this fancy stuff and we found a uh, playground in a park and sat on the swings because the sprinklers were on and we sat on the swings and Listen to Garth Brooks. <laughs> Listen to country music and all night. All you know, night. And then went to IHOP at like six in the morning. So that's it was like, awesome. wow. I think, yeah, we just, I mean, I think that's just us. Yeah, we're very, very in the moment. Let's, let's, how can we make this more playful? Yeah. What's something novel we can do? And I think the surprise piece is mm-hmm. a pretty normal part of that. Yeah. That's so great. I love that. So you have how many children? We have four kids, two boys and two girls. Um, They're 16, 15, almost 13 and 10. Okay. Wow. Yes. Mm -hmm. So one, well, first of all, I heard, and I would love to hear you guys talk about this, that you just got back from this 31 day trip. Adventure. Adventure. That's crazy. I want to hear about it. Yeah. No. Um, well, I think what we love about you guys is y'all's like ability to ask a question and be like, what if we did this? What would happen? And so <laughs> you really do. I love that about y'all. And so we had this crazy idea to be like, what if we took a month away, like a whole month away with our kids and um, we, with the intention of having them be endeared toward the people of the world, like not just tolerate people who are different than us, but actually be endeared towards them. Mm. But we didn't want to, um, not like in a missional situation, not like missional trip. And so I, we do homeschool. I love history and Todd and I were like, let's, let's take our kids through the American 13 colonies, um, for 31 days. And I was like, this is incredible. Can we do this? Can you leave town? Can you leave work? Um, and then that was a kind of a what if, and then we, we did it. And so we took the Amtrak. So we didn't have any. <laughs> oh, so you were on a train. So no car. That no was car. one of our big battles. Yeah. I was scared of the Amtrak. And I'm like, no. Yeah. I, so I rallied the kids to be really. <laughs> yeah. And we had like a formal sit down discussion with like parliamentary <laughs> procedure. He was like, I need a motion to take the I Amtrak. I think it was, was a persuasive, like, no. the family persuading mom. Uh, to did it win you over? Did Amtrak win you over? Amtrak won me over. That's awesome. I it is. Was have so y'all done surprised. it? Have you guys no. ever no, yeah. I've picked somebody up from the Amtrak, <laughs> but I have not personally been on it. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, well, we loved it. We did love it. Um, the overnight train, <laughs> the 15 hour overnight train, just right out of the gate from here to DC, was a like total immersion experience. Yeah. Where you're like, 
we had taken like the four hour train first, but <laughs> uh, we took the overnight train, uh, which was kind of great. It was sort of this baptism, you know, where you're like, we're jumping in and the kids um, sort of wide eyed and ready. And I, I was more like fearful than I was excited. And uh. at the course of that whole trip, I feel like, um, absolutely like my fear gave way to absolute awe of, of what we can do. I, I didn't realize our capabilities as a family. So everybody took their own backpack. Uh, yeah. That was it. Everyone had a backpack. Uh, we had to figure out where to wash clothes and where, how to cart our stuff everywhere where there are no elevators and across trains and get off the train on the right time. And um, yeah. we did transit, all mass transit, every city we were in. <laughs> so you have to pay, figure out every different system. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we basically did 10 days in D.C. We did a, an, an overnight in Philly on the way up to New York. And so we did about a week in Chelsea there in Manhattan mm-hmm. and then went up to Boston, rented a Suburban to drive Cape Cod. And so we actually found an RV park. Yeah. Uh, we were going to rent an RV, but then the thought that that was also our transportation and we wanted to go to like Martha's Vineyard and we wanted to get on the ferries and stuff. And that, that felt like a nightmare with kids with an RV that you got to un, undo all the... Uh, yeah. hookups and stuff. So oh, we, we know, we know, we know right. all about that nightmare. <laughs> yeah. all about that so nightmare. we found a camp, we found a camping ground right on the beach, just outside of Provincetown at the very end of Cape Cod that you act, they already have the RV set up. So we used it as a base camp Yeah. Oh. and, and yeah. spent uh, a week there and then went from Cape Cod up to New England. So we did, um, Acadia national park. Yeah. We found private island off the coast of Acadia that we stayed at. It was the only place to stay on the island. Mm-hmm. So amazing. You can only get yeah. over there with a water taxi, which means a guy in a boat. You pay him a lot of cash to take you over and then you've got to pay him to bring you back whenever yeah. you want. You just call his cell phone. So then we went through New Hampshire and then uh, to Vermont and stayed in Stowe, Vermont for a couple of days and then came back down to Boston. And then mm-hmm. did like the Boston tour, Freedom Trail, Freedom all of that kind of wrapped it up. So we basically went backwards on the timeline in history. Mm. Yeah. So we started in DC with like current, obviously like current, what's going on. Got to meet a, a, a handful of people who were so cool and just through a friend of a friend, influential people. That was amazing. And then backed it up, you know, after then going to Philadelphia kind of backwards on the timeline, like where they signed the constitution and then hitting New York and feeling like, Oh, we just, we see the industry of immigrants is so cool that that was before that. And then by the time we got to Provincetown where the pilgrims landed and that they had crossed this ocean in search of freedom, religious freedom that they wanted to, um, they just a different life so badly that they would cross this ocean. I mean, our kids were just wide eyed. I mean, I think we kind of cried at the end thinking, gosh, people are capable of amazing things. And uh, so it was so worth it. It was 31 days. And by the time we were coming home, people were like, we're all so ready to come home. And we were like, not really. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we could have lived that life. Um, other than the yeah, bags. I think it was long enough. Other than the bags. Well, <laughs> other than the bags. I heard- I think this is a really good transition because I remember we had dinner a couple years ago and a lot of things really stuck with us that we still talk about today. One of them was this kind of philosophy that you guys lead the family by or operate as a family by of what it means to be a citizen of the family. Can you share your thoughts on that and what that looks like for your, your crew? Yeah, just really the idea of, 
um, we, we have really always wanted to be intentional to have our kids learn just personal responsibility that nothing's handed to you. Nothing, you don't have rights of just the kind of privilege that you and the blessings that you get are really, you know, something to be grateful for, but you, you wake up every day and you participate, you contribute and you have gifts, skills and talents and callings and things to summon uh, within yourself and within others to to have a contribution. And then as a family, we like this idea of trying to cultivate a sense of collective intelligence. Like, what is it if we uh, summon all the unique gifts and differences uh, and uniquenesses between all of us? And let's say we pool our genius, so to speak, the hidden, really natural talents and skills within us. Uh, and we pull that together, who could we be together collectively? Mm-hmm. And so everybody participates, no matter how old you are, uh, based on your skill sets, your interests, your passions, uh, whether we, uh, like we have our funny comedian kid, and, <laughs> and we want to summon that. And mm-hmm. how does that contribute? But um, not so not just chores, but really to our entertainment, our planning, um, kids are involved in all of our decisions. Um, even when they were, I think four and five years old, we started family meetings on Sunday nights and, uh, they would tell, we'd ask a question, how are we doing as a mom and dad? And we, we had, to, we got pretty humbled we by did. some of the oh, people. Oh, wow. Yeah, we did. Uh, the, uh, Beverly had, I think one of our daughters told her one, one time, you're just not, you're just not a fun mommy anymore. <laughs> I mean, we had to oh, like. Oh my goodness. Dagger, dagger to the heart. She she tried to present that she was okay, but then the next day, like we were talking, she was like, "Man, I'm really bothered by." I need to be more fun. Yeah, yeah, we had to. Or dad was a little hard, or I was. I. That's a scary question. I mean, even as you say it, I'm like, uh. I don't want to ask my kids that. (laughs) But but the fact that they even felt the freedom to be honest. Mm the safety to have a freedom of voice mm, yeah. uh, city of opinion. I mean, that's really ultimately mm-hmm. what we want to shape. Mm-hmm. Um, so we celebrated that. We didn't like necessarily the content of the feedback sometimes, but yeah. we loved the, uh, the, the safety and the autonomy to be able to disagree and to have a diverse opinion. That's and good. so that, that goes into that citizenship. That's awesome. Share a little bit more about when you do those family meetings, what are some of the other questions or what does that look like? I I would say probably it's a basic template of, Hey, what's the over the past. And sometimes really ultimately we ended up finding that it's the best rhythm to do it monthly. Hmm. And we would say, Hey, over the past month, because the, the weekly stuff was just, it was too hard and it felt forced. Uh, but we tried it weekly at first. So l- let's talk about what we settled into. And so monthly we'd sit down and be a Sunday night before we'd start the next month or whatever. And sometimes it wasn't exactly on the month. Hey, over the last month, what was the best part of being in this family? What was your favorite memories over the last month of being in this family? What did we do well? Mm-hmm. What did we crush? What did, how, where did we nail it as a family? What are your favorite memories? Um, sometimes that would turn into... Uh, usually we, on Friday nights, we'll do Friday family, uh, affirmation night, and then family movie night. So we'll do affirmations around the table and you have to call out something that somebody else in the family did specifically and what that says about their character. 
And we all kind of go around and do that. So sometimes on the monthly meetings, it would turn into affirmation. But really, it was collectively, how were we? In who we want to be as a family, how were we? How did we do against what we want to be as a family this past month? Mm-hmm. And, and then the second part of that was, what did we, what did we not do well? Where did we kind of like miss out on being who we wanted to be? Did we fight too much or was there too much complaining or were we too entitled or did we splurge too much or, you know, whatever we, whatever we look at. And sometimes people, there were months where people would say, yeah, I think we just, we kind of irritated each other a lot this month. And then I was, why is that? Maybe we didn't get outside and play enough. Maybe we were overscheduled. And so we'd have to, Mm. so the part B was why? Yeah. So what led to that? If we were irritated, we, it's not just, we don't in the meeting that, okay, let's not be irritated next month. What caused that? Right. Yeah. The things that we know that are true about us, we love to get out and play. We love to do adventurous things. We love to go into our city and, and try new things and be novel. And, Mm -hmm. and if we're not doing those habits, then do we get irritated? I mean, it's an interesting correlation. We don't know. It's almost like you have to kind of back into, but yeah, why were we irritated? Why were we a little mad at each other? Um, That kind of leads to your, I loved kind of hearing about your approach to technology because you guys, I mean, you know how you're, you're definitely talking about being outside and how that matters. And so you have a very unique approach to technology. I would love for you to share with everybody that. Oh man. (laughs) Uh, She's like, you you, you didn't know we were going to remember all these things after one day. I love it. Gosh. Oh, I don't know. You want to tackle that one? Well, first, I mean, we can, there's so much that you have, um, that you have in place and it's very intentional. And I think, I think that's the key is that a lot of parents right now are like, oh my goodness, they see what's happening. They see cell phones. They see more kids having cell phones. My daughter's got kids in third grade with cell phones, you know, like it's crazy. And I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, this is coming so much quicker, so much faster than, you know, when we were children. So, but I love your intentionality. So give us some of your, some of your things. So I'll start your TV or your computers are all in the living room, the living room. Tell us about that. Yeah. yeah. And we've, we've since put them all down in the basement in the office. Okay. So yeah. it's eliminated. Right. But our kids have also, well, here's the great thing, Andre. I feel like now we can talk from a little bit more experience and, mm. we can, and our kids are 16 and 15, like we said, um, and then almost 13 and 10. So we've now been able to see the, the payoff really because mm. they're fully in high school and so now we'll be able to say with confidence that things that we put into place early on have really shaped our kids. I mean, that mm. intentionality shaped them. Um, we did have all the computers in one room, more than anything, just for accountability from all of us, uh, that we would be able to see if we were doing something in excess. Were we excessively on it or what are we, you know, I think not just for the accountability of what they were seeing on their screens. Um, but more so again, kind of that citizenship of a family, mm-hmm. like what, if you're into it, we're probably all going to be into it. So what are you into? Like, what are you watching? Cause mm-hmm. we're probably all going to be, yeah. um, into it. So there was that, um, 
Yeah, now because of the personal, instead of the instead of the computers where it was before, now that they're older and they're starting to get cell phones, we have a the cell phone drawer, which is right when you walk in the kitchen door when you come in. There's no need to have a cell phone in the house because the only reason they have cell phones is to, to be reached by us. <laughs> so if we're all home, you don't need us to reach you. We're in the same house together. So you put your cell phones away and we all do that. And we put them in the cell phone drawer. Um, so then the only technology would be if they're doing homework on their laptops or things like that. We just really wanted to, um, I, and I think Beverly could probably speak to this because uh, when we were looking at your question on purpose, there's so much purpose that we find in just relating to each other through conversation. And uh, obviously there's so much research and studies happening rapidly every year on what are cell phones, smartphones and technology doing to relationships and conversation. And Beverly has actually herself gone on a personal intellectual curiosity into the topic and is really fascinated reading a lot of stuff, the latest research on what's happened to conversation. Mm. And in an age of uh, the, you know, the digital age that we're in, are we losing relational rapport in the way um, community really happens because of technology? And so I think we just stay, that's just a passionate thing that we share. And we're mm-hmm. so into really good conversation and courageous conversation that we, we just don't want to slip into screens being part of our life other than good, productive yeah. School or work or productivity. I think we encourage that with our kids too, that it's so much more effective to call your friend than it is to text him. Hmm. I mean, it, it's pretty effective just to go ahead and call him. Like, um, so that kind of takes that, like, always head down texting out of the game, you know, because I'm like, just call him. Um, or, you know, they FaceTime them so that they can see their face. I'm such a big proponent of like eye contact and. Hmm the seven minute rule where you're like, you might as well just, if you're going to be in a conversation, if you can stick it out for seven minutes, you're going to learn something new about that person. So she um, started, Beverly started this kick last year. She was like, you know what, for this year, I'm going to actually, when I get a text from somebody, I'm just going to call them. And it was so funny. She'll be like, everybody's shocked. Like what's wrong? Why'd you call? Why are you calling me? (laughs) Is everything okay? That's like the first time somebody calls. The first question is, is everybody okay? <laughs> Every time. I'd be like, well, I just got a text from you. Someone will call you back. You're like, okay. Are you okay? <laughs> I love that. Okay. And I was like, no, I'm just making a phone call. So we have a friend. Well, Jeff has a friend that... Uh, He's my FaceTime friend. He is only FaceTime. So, he only FaceTimes me. So... And- I just think it's so great because every time, like even last night, there was a FaceTime call and um, he's like, oh, you're on a boat. You're on the lake. Show me the sun. Like, show me. And so he's showing the sunset, you know, and it was like this beautiful, like Jeff was like, wow, that's what you're doing tonight. You know? I love that. We had a shared moment. Yeah, they shared the moment on the lake, you know? See, I just love that. I'm reading Cheryl Turkle's book called Reclaiming Conversation. Hmm. She also wrote a book called Alone Together. Man, it's kind of on the heels of that Bored and Brilliant book by Manoush Zamarodi. I love that too. Um, Just that there's so much that can happen in a conversation that you miss in a digital world. Um, And in a digital transaction, I just feel like um, I'm going to lose the personality of my kids if I don't keep looking at their face. And Hmm. uh, I mean, I I think um, 
I think that is what changed our kids. And honestly, um, they would turn to face-to-face conversation before they would turn to their phones. I mean, I don't think we have any, our rules about phones and all that are not really that big of a deal hmm. because there's, there's no motivation. They're not compelled to pick them up. Yeah, but, you're, but you're saying because you've laid this groundwork since, I mean, they were little. So, so. yeah. Or and you're saying now as a teenager, you're, you're seeing it. Yeah, they prefer conversation face to face. I mean, I don't know many teenagers like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're weird. <laughs> yeah. So, Todd, you you, 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 you know, you're a marriage counselor and you're a coach for a lot of executive leaders. And I want to transition a little bit to think through that lens for a second. I have a feeling on the topic that this podcast is about, related to love and work and all these kinds of things, like man, I have a feeling you've sat in a lot of hard conversations with executive leaders that are trying to pursue the highest success rates possible. Meanwhile, it's impacting the people closest to them. So if you thought through, like, I'm curious if you were to give advice to people that are in that, they're trying to find success. If you, you know, there's, this is our, this is our listener base. What would you, what would you want them to know that you wish all those executives knew when they started? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. I think as you are talking about um, executives who are pursuing success at the highest level, highest level of success possible, uh, what we know is that in our pursuit, and I call it an obsessive pursuit of success and achievement, we will experience drift, what, what I call drift, uh, in our personal life, leaving us with an exhausted, worn out, divided soul. Our soul will erode if as we obsessively pursue success naturally. So then the only other option, if we don't want an eroded soul in our personal life, the things that matter most to us personally, other than success professionally, then we have to, what I say is deliberately defy drift. And drift is just, just naturally happens. And it happens in your relationship. You get married and you're all excited and you're in love and you're infatuated and all this kind of stuff. And just because life, just because we live life, you don't even have to do anything wrong to drift. You just live life. And the busyness leads to hurry. And the culture of hurry divides us and leads us drifting in our relationships if we don't do anything intentionally to defy that. And so professionally, uh, if we don't realize that as we're pursuing the highest level achievement, that we are drifting or we are vulnerable to drift, then our soul will erode. Hmm. And that, that, that could mean our marriage, that could mean our parenting, that could mean what gives our soul the most highest satisfaction, uh, our health, uh, our energy, our, the things that bring us life um, are, are gone because we have gotten caught on this train of pursuing success. And so the, the advice piece there is to be radically aware of where are you either currently drifting personally to the things that matter most, your marriage, your your core key relationships. If you're, if you have kids, your parent, your parenting uh, connection with your kids, uh, your health, your energy, your friendships, the things that uh, holistically bring you energy in life. 
uh, where are you in uh, the pursuit of those things? Hmm. And are you drifting? Are you at drift? Or are you, by the, by the way you're actually living your life, are you vulnerable to drift happening for you? Mm. And, and if you become aware of it, then, then you can do something about it. Mm. Build the right rituals that create the right habits uh, that put you back in a way where you can do both, where you can pursue uh, your highest calling, but in a way that also uh, re-energizes your productiveness by because of the, the way you're honoring your soul. You're, you're not sacrificing the things that matter most to you personally. Mm. That's good. I mean, so is that the concept of your new project that you guys are doing called Defy Drift? Is that the concept? Or maybe a piece of bringing people back together, I guess. Yeah. I, it's so funny because this whole idea of drift, it was funny. We were on a, the whole, the whole way that it started is we were on a long road trip to Texas to see our, my in-laws, her family, and it's a 15 hour drive. And like normal, when you get on a road trip and the kids are either sleeping or entertained or whatever they're doing, and you have this concentrated time together, you get really excited because you get to catch up. And so the first two hours of a road trip, you're talking like crazy, but really what you're talking about is you're just catching up right. on, on what's happened with so-and-so and the kids and the job and the friends and the small group and the neighbors. And, and the you still got family. 12 more hours to go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's the whole Trust thing. Trust me. We know. No, I know. But the first two hours are amazing. The you, two hours you, are great. And then you look at each other like, you oh said, my God, we it. still got 12 more They're hours. They're saying the first two hours are great. Usually our first two hours are the biggest fights of the year. But anyway, it's like I we mean, have at the to end, fight, it's great. We work, work it out, it. and then we can be ready. <laughs> Come full circle yeah. by the end of those 15 hours. Yes, like, it totally fight does. Fight front end and then work the last, you know, the last 12 oh, to work it out. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Well, that, you know, it's funny that you say that, though, because um, we did find ourselves in that weird space of, like, silence with each other and thinking, um, I, I really like you. I just don't have anything to say to you. <laughs> <laughs> like come up with a question, but I think you're cute. <laughs> like, I don't really know. Sorry. There's nothing more nothing. I'm interested in your life. Right. Basically. We're sad. We're all we got like, a long road trip here. We're, but we've been married that long. We're back to, I just think you're cute. Um, <laughs> okay. and so, um, but what's funny is, is so we did, we started, Todd is really good at question asking. And so he would just come up with it one question about, you know, what if we did this? Well, here's the thing. I did not grow up playing the what if game. I actually grew up in a household where we did not ever think about what couldn't really be possible. So the what if game, you know, I grew up thinking was sort of a waste of time and breath because if it can't practically be done, why do we want to talk about it? You know? And so, um, then I met Todd who is just the vision dreamer yes yeah. visionary who like loves the what if game and so to have to be like well what if and i'd be like stop right there you just have to stop talking or you're gonna make me have a fight with you i know you're like debbie downer like she didn't want to dream i would always like the what if crushed. game stresses me out like, the you're like the thinking the budget you're right. thinking yeah all the technical like sweating thinking about it i'll be like oh my gosh let me get my steno pad out and be like what if um because i go to like all these scenarios so um 
so it's funny. So anyway, it's nevertheless, Todd kept asking these questions and I feel like I would like sort of little by little answer them and, and engage in this, like, what if <clears throat> project and <clears throat> we just, he drew me out. I would have to say is that I, he would pull out sort of this question pad that we had in the car and be like, let's just do one question. And I'd be like, roll my eyes. I cannot do this. Todd. <laughs> we have all these hours in the car and he'd be like, just one, let's just do one question, you know? And he'd ask, what if we had $10,000 and what would we do if we just had to spend it on ourselves and go on a vacation? Where would we go? And my first thought is and to you be couldn't like, buy anything. Yes. Only the experience itself. Right. And then I have the to like, globe, what would you do with it? Right. Oh, I have to fight through my resistance to be like, that would never happen. <laughs> so why would we talk about it? Um, but over the years, yeah. But anyway, the questions grew and he would always get me with like one, let's just do one. And then that one question would turn into like three hours. And then he'd ask another one, just one more. Hmm. And But then other questions about like the kind of how you want to be shaped, how are we doing on shaping our kids and, you know, how are they doing with their philosophy of money and um, generosity or what are their biggest fears? Um, uh, and even things of, Hey, what's your right now, what's your favorite part of being a mom? And then what's your, what's your hardest part about being a mom right now? You know, when do we actually have time to have those kind of in, intentional conversations? Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we just don't think they're not like, they're not rocket science questions. It's just that yeah. we're so used to reporting Right. Content of catching up, you can kill a whole date night. I mean, think of how many couples you know that will hire a sitter. They go out to a hundred, hundred fifty dollar dinner if they're lucky, or they, you know, would regardless, they're blowing hundred bucks that night on a two hour dinner, and all you do is catch up. Right. You can actually burn two hours of conversation just catching up on gossiping about the neighbors or the people in your small group or the you know, the people at work or, you know, the kids studies and the, what the teacher said and so-and-so and all this and that. Not without that, learning not, anything new about each other. Yes. Yeah. Without getting deeper into the soul of who you are. And the reality is we did that when we were dating. Yeah. Every couple, every couple, when you hear their story of how they got close somewhere in there was, we just stayed up all night on the phone or we would, yeah. we would stay yeah. up all night and walk on the beach, just talking. Well, that talking was getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. And we get to a point where you think, you know, each other. Well, the, the reality is we're dynamic people. We're humans and we change every week. Mm-hmm. We, we, there's fascinating stuff going on in our heads and our hearts and our souls and our minds. Every week we're learning things. We come across people who inspire us. We have friends in our life that are draining us. We have things going on in our soul and our heart that we can tap into that. And we just don't have the questions that shape the kind of conversation. And so that's what ultimately inspired the card deck mm-hmm. that um, that now has the brand name Defy Drift yeah. because it's it's just a tool. That's all it is. But we put it in a cool leather pouch because I want it to be man-friendly and you kind of go to, a, it's cool to kind of take it on to a restaurant and we throw it on the table. And at some point in the conversation, we will open it. I don't feel offended when she opens the card deck that I'm now boring. I don't have anything good to ask. And we take out a card and we start kind of going through it. And yeah. Um, it's fun. Yeah, it is fun. I, it's fun now. You know, yeah, I feel like you had to get used to this. <laughs> say that. that it didn't start out super fun. Um, just from my yeah, end, there are a lot of eye rolls. I feel like I feel like that's where we're different. Is Todd kind of grew up with this like optimistic, visionary personality, and I'm more probably practical and um, 
I know I like to execute, you know, just give me a list and I can make it happen. And so I feel like those questions when he would like the question of what's the hardest thing about being a mom, you know, this week or this month, I feel like I was afraid to voice that because then that means there's something wrong and taught us to do something about it. And that's not really what, it's not really what I needed. And I think I had to learn how to answer those questions with the vulnerability to Todd to say, I'm just saying this out loud and that's hard for me just saying it. So that the questions really helped me open up to him, which seems silly because we've been married all these years, but I didn't realize I was holding back probably until those questions gave me a platform and to, to see the way he would respond was beautiful because I think I was expecting if I say this out loud, you're going to think something's wrong with us. Really, we're just having a conversation and he can see my face and my eyes and the way that I'm trying to answer this in a way where maybe I'm trying to protect him. And he'd be like, just like, let's just, it's just a question. It's just a card. Just, we're just going to answer the question. It's just a safe place. And I'd be like, okay, here I go. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's taken so much practice, but oh my gosh, um, it has changed me because I wouldn't, I would not miss that anymore. I would not miss the opportunity to connect with him that way. And I think it's spilled over into our kids. I think that's, what's been the great thing about even this crazy 31 day trip is just having our kids have the opportunity to ask us some of those same questions. And, um, we wouldn't miss it. I think our kids wouldn't miss the opportunity for conversation over quiet. What's yeah. up with those pink cards? What What are those about? <laughs> of course, Jeff Schenenberger. Uh, what? what? I was just, I, listen, the, I'm the just doing an interview. I'm trying to learn. The just first category that you pulled yeah. out. I love it. I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Right. So, so what I wanted to do was is create categories. She's <laughs> blushing. She's uh, red. I wish I could take a picture of this moment. She's getting all red. Just blushing. It Woo. is. You just don't do that when the kids are in the car. Yeah. Know? Or like to dinner, you know, whip out that pink card and be like, so explain what's the pink card? Those are a little more uh, intimate, right? Yeah, it's the it's the pursue. So it would be the, you know, deeper questions about uh, your, your sex and intimacy together. And what I found even, even through my work in marriage therapy and stuff, but I found a lot of couples, they, they, they want to be able to talk about these things. They just don't know how, and it doesn't mean you're actually in a bad place. We just don't know how to, to, to broach the subject. And nobody teaches you how to talk about sex. Yeah. Is it okay? And do, are they going to be offended that I'm asking this? And Mm. and the last thing I want to do is startified. I don't want to create a fight. I don't want to be offensive. I don't want it to be taken the wrong way. And so we just avoid it. And so just a series of questions that actually allow the conversation, even if you don't answer those questions, all we care about is you're having conversation about the things that matter most. Uh, and then there's a section on uh, values. And, you know, again, when you're out to, to dinner, you're hanging out, when is it, when is it all, is it always awkward to go, Hey, can we talk about our values? I mean, it's just a, It's just not a natural thing that I find that couples, it's easy for them to do. And they don't know what kind of questions to ask and how are we raising our kids and how do we feel about, um, you know, where we want to be in the next three years. And uh, if we fail to accomplish anything over the next year, you know, but one thing, what would it be? And those are just sometimes those are just questions that we just don't know to ask. And so to have the categories 
that give people permission to say, Hey, it's just the card. It's on the card. It's not me. It's on the card. Yeah. You know? It, yeah. Blame it, the card on it. Right. Yeah. The pink card. <laughs> yeah. The card. No, no. You did ask me a pink is. card question last night on our date with your, and I had no clue cause I was paying no attention. You knew I'd get there. Let's be honest. <laughs> so yeah. First question, you know, he's like, I was in be- no, 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 that was not the first question that I asked. What can be better about our sex okay. life? Well, we have like all these people. I was like, well, let's talk yeah. about orgasms. Okay. Just at dinner. Here we go. <laughs> the questions are super specific too. Yeah. You're like, no, that was a specific spot yeah. you're asking yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, it was good. It was great. We had lively conversation last night with your cards. So, so that's the whole that, point. It is. <laughs> that is the point. <laughs> that's the point. Okay. You know. I also remember from our dinner this is like you guys don't realize this dinner which we had a few years ago actually was like epic for us and we still talk about stuff and still think about stuff that we talked about that night so one of the other ones that the other kind of conversation pieces was finances that you all kind of yeah. really work on How with to your teach family your kids yeah like allowance money. and finances um, which kind of goes into your citizens of the family thing too. But can you talk a little bit about what you are trying to teach your kids related to money and finances? Yeah. Um, well, early on, we read a book called Financially or Raising Financially Fit Kids. Um, it's this orange book that in the middle of it has this like fold out step-by-step chart. Those actually ended up being super helpful about having your kids allocate their funds in three ways, save, spend, and share. And of course, we made these cute little jars early on in their life. And um, we did develop, we talked to you all about being a citizen of the family also means that you get an allowance every week. Uh, but not because of the chores that you're doing, but because you're a citizen of our family, you get an allowance every week. And your response to that, your natural response to that is your citizenship and part of the things that you do to help our family uh, operate on a day-to-day basis. So then your allowance is not withheld from you if you don't do your chores. Um, it's really just, it's you want, you're compelled to do your chores because you're a citizen of the family. And that also includes your monthly or your weekly allowance. The way that we've seen that play out as, I don't go, I guess, teens now, um, is similar in that we've laid that foundation of that your money really is not all yours. Like, and you don't want to go ahead and spend it in your brain before you even get it, but that the money each has this, um, it's appropriated to these three different areas so that you can see the world through that. Also, mm. we don't on it. We always want to be in a position to share whatever you have, because we enough is enough. We have enough. We, we know that, um, we have been blessed just by the fact that we can share. Um, and so we do share because that's what being a citizen is all about. And the way that it manifested recently on this 31 day trip with our kids is that we did give them some challenges, you know, over the the course of the trip, always these like, what if, how, or could you, we'd give them like $5 and be like, all right, you guys got to spread out around Penn station or spread out around of the mall area in DC or spread out, you know, go with a buddy and then figure out, can you eat on $5? Like, Mm. what does that look like for you? And, um, we saw them sort of 
look around and we, we did, we, we did one practice run at the mall here by our house and we gave him $5 and we said, you guys have to go eat at the mall for $5 and come back and tell us what happened. And they did. One of them came back kind of empty handed and was like, mom, I can't get anything for $5. I, anything that I want. And so they had to like regroup and figure out, do I go in with my sibling? What if we share something? Maybe we can buy a meal and share that meal. And then with our leftover, we can get a dessert and that really important. And so you, they came up with all these different scenarios. Scenarios. All the kids had different yeah, scenarios yeah. with way they could live on that. And then, um, which was really cool. That was like our first training ground. And then when we were on our trip, we similarly did that where, um, yeah. you know what it feels like to live on that. I think the big thing was it, you know, I think, it, I think anything we've done parenting probably comes out of pain points <laughs> and we were just exhausted going into like target or Costco and having our kids go, Hey, can I have this? Can I have this? Oh, I want this. The kids would go in the toy store and they'd be, I want this. I want this. And I remember Beverly coming home one day and we're talking about how, you know, the day and how it was. And she's like, I'm t- I can't go into target with the kids anymore. I'm exhausted. And then it was like, we could either get mad at them, <laughs> keep saying no, or we can train them. Right. right. It's, it, it is it our responsibility to shape their character and who they become and their values. And then why don't we step up to the plate and shape that? So if money yeah. and if financial stewardship can be an opportunity, even as young as four or five years old, to start shaping their mindset of what money is as a resource, not as a right, then how would it shape how they see money in the first place? And then the opportunities, you know, they're exposed to things, uh, whether at church or school or they hear friends talking where they're causes. Then if you hear a cause and you, you don't have money because your mom and dad are the ones with money, you're actually not moved to do anything about the cause because you don't know that you can. Hmm. But as soon as our kids started building up their state, their, um, their share jars mm-hmm. uh, and, and the shares aren't saved and it's not spent. They're actually meant to be a resource when you, for whatever reason in your heart and mind get lit up on a cause that comes across your path, mm-hmm. whether a kid at school talks about something or you're, you hear, you see a video at your, whatever it is. And then they can actually pool their share money together and do big stuff if they want. Mm. And, and so when we took them on a mission trip to Peru um, several years ago now, we came across a family that had a little boy that um, didn't have much. You know, they, they didn't have, obviously, in, in a typical third world that you see, they didn't have a roof over their head. They didn't have, they had a dirt floor. They had five people in the family living in a tiny little space, but they had one boy that was their age um, named Nahum and they, and he played soccer with them and he, and they chased chickens and it was a blast, but it was a kid they actually connected with, tried to speak a little Spanish with him. Mm -hmm. And what we found out is Nahum can't go to school because he can't afford a uniform and they have to have a uniform in order to be accepted in the school, but the uniform costs a lot of money. And so the kids found out that based on just their share jars, not mom and dad, if they pooled their shared jars together, they actually could afford to pay for uh, his uniform to send him to school. And so they got that, that changed them and they were really young at that age. And so still today, not only do they pay for his uniform, but they actually pay for his tuition. Mm -hmm. So the kids 
have used some of their saved money and all of their share money. And they actually support this kid. It's not some, some no name person that they saw in a pamphlet somewhere. This is actually a boy they have a relationship with who sends them letters that we met. They played with him in his house. Right. And, and we still, as a family are able to kind of send this kid to school. Hmm. Um, we want him to come spend. We're trying to arrange now that when he um, gets old enough, he can come spend a summer with us or a year with us and um, in our house and just kind of see what that would do. But that's, but they get the joy of being able to contribute to some kind of causes that for whatever reason come across their path, get them excited. Well, we are down to our last question. Last question. And and listen, I know you guys are the ones that usually are asking questions of each other. We're going to ask this question to you. But you need to each answer separately. Is it possible to both pursue your work and calling, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? Yeah. You want to go first? <laughs> yeah. It's still unknown, right? Right. We're still uh, together. Yeah. Well, right. Um, gosh, I don't know. We'll go, I'll go first. Um, I will obviously say yes. Like, it's possible because... I feel like our life is not this really lateral life. It's been sort of spherical in the way that we um, are crazily intentional and we just take it to the extreme and it touches every facet of our life. So it doesn't feel like this work-life balance. It's really not this teeter-totter on a fixed point. It's this ball that rolls around in a beautiful way that um, it all fits together. And I do think that our uniquenesses and passions are undergirded by the way we invest in each other and find out what fascinates us about each other. And then that fuels each of our desires to continue to pursue our own uh, calling mm-hmm. and incorporate our kids into that. And so that they have a voice and a narrative and they're a citizen of what is going on. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems to the choices that we've made about, you know, we, our kids go to a hybrid school two days a week so that we can spend more time with them and get more connection with them because we also want to support them and their dreams and what they're doing. And it also gives us time for Todd's flexibility in his job and my job and, um, and then our marriage. And so I feel like, yeah, I feel like we're this, I don't know, this, this ball that works together. So I know. What do you think? Do you yeah, think? I, I think for us. Um, so if you realize, and I love your questions on that you sent ahead of time on purpose, because mm-hmm. that really, when we started having the, trying to answer this question, it kept coming back to really your purpose scales way beyond whatever your profession is, right? So if you think about work, that's just a lane. It's not, your purpose is not your work. Your purpose plays itself out on one of the platforms, which is work. But if you see it as your purpose is a deeper calling that can be summoned in any platform, in any lane. So if you realize that that actually could play out with your kids, with your family, with your marriage at home, then you actually can actually re-energize yourself by playing your purpose out in those elements as well. So for example, if, if I really ultimately, if my purpose, because professionally is I want to inspire and summon uh, the, the greatness within influential leaders, 
Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I want to be. I want to help them discover the greatness within and, and call it forth. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't stop at work. Why would I walk inside the house and all of a sudden be purposeless? If that is a, if that's a gift that I have that I actually get to paint on life, that I actually get to paint on a canvas of a profession uh, in my professional world, why can't I do that at home? And so it's it's it to us. I think that's how we balance. Is it's just another platform? It's not. It doesn't stop at work. Um, can I? And so this trip that we just did, it was really, I felt like I worked about two hours a morning planning for the day. And even what questions we're going to ask our kids after, how are we going to debrief this experience hmm. um, with our kids? Uh, if, if we're going to do the Holocaust Museum one day, what are the specific way we're going to debrief them after the museum? Just checking the museum off our lifts is not good enough. Hmm. Just taking them there. So what is it going to look like after the museum? How do we shape and, and summon forth whatever stirrings or, or uh, feelings are coming up for them? How are we kind of pull that into shaping? I spent, I spent a good hour that morning kind of like really architecting a debrief process for them. Mm. To me, that's just being kind of ridiculously intentional, but that's what I do with, that's what I do with my clients, right? So why should that end at work? And I just think that for us, mm. I think we just, we're like that. I think we, we find that that's important um, for us to be able to do that in our personal lives and in our marriage mm -hmm. uh, and call that forth with each other instead of just check, check off the box that we went on a date night. I think too many people pat themselves on the back that we went on a date night. I would say, would you talk about on your date night? Mm -hmm. Did you grow closer by how you conversed? by how you connected on your date night. That's what I care about. Mm. You went on one date night a month and it was really rich conversation. I'd rather you do that than go on a weekly date night and just, you know, catch up. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's the kind of thing is it's, it's how are we actually choosing to spend in our time that we have together? And now it's time for the breakdown. So, citizen of the family. Break it down. You're still in the breakdown. Citizen of the family. Citizen we the family. have talked about this concept since our dinner. We have. For years now. And how we essentially want to kind of implement that in the same way of contributing and taking personal responsibility. Yeah, and I love I love the idea. They didn't really talk about this. They shared what it meant for their family, but I think every family has different parameters yeah. and different ways that it looks for the way they do life. Yes. But I do love like how I mean they were even just talking about just the collective intelligence, mm. this idea that every voice matters that's in the family and that um, Even the youngest we, voice. Yeah. And if we pull everybody's like gifts together, we can like come up with something crazy cool. So I love that. Mm. Yeah. I think uh, that term is something that we've talked at length about and are continually trying to navigate, honestly. Yeah. To raise kids that don't just think things are handed to them and just aren't this, this privileged life, you know? Yeah. The second thing is... Uh, for me is something, I don't know if, it, I, I don't know if I want to ask our kids, but oh, the question, yeah, the question, how are we doing as a mom and dad? 
That's scary. The, but is it? But also important. Yeah. I think that's part of that collective value that we all have a voice and seat at the table as a family. And when you bring in the idea that they feel heard, they feel safe, they feel like they can be honest um, within the conversations of the family, I think is really valuable. Yeah. That sets you up for those high school conversations that, um, that you want to have with your kids. Where they feel heard and safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, their technology approach is pretty interesting. And, uh, you know, I love that they just have kids that prefer conversation. Mm. And I think that's a great value to like, even if you don't do it as they are doing it per se, if we can find ways and each person listening in their own family, how we can raise kids Mm -hmm. that prefer conversation. I mean, that came up with you and I in our, when we were going through cards last night, that this is something that we actually want. There's parts of our technology in our family that we want to change. Yes. And, and that we need to work towards figuring out a process or a system to make that happen. Yeah. So I do like that a lot of their point, like ways that they choose to be intentional comes out of pain points. Oh my goodness. Let's talk about target. <laughs> Everybody feels Everybody, the target point. Everyone that is listening right now has a kid that has whined at target for wanting something every time they go there. What every is it target? Time. Why? Because Why? they are so damn good at their marketing. You just tempt kids. All they do. But I love what he said is he's like, you can get frustrated for the, about hang it. Hang on. Every- for the record, they tempt wives also. Yes. You're the, in some ways, you're the same way. Everybody knows that when you go into Target for like the one thing, you come out with like the 10 things. Yeah, you it's just like what It's impossible happened. to go to Target and not spend $80. It's impossible. I don't know. But listen. No, I, I don't think it's, <laughs> I think it literally is impossible. You are getting very passionate about this. Listen. <laughs> You can get frustrated, Jeff, as he said, or you can train them. And I like that idea. It's like, okay, are we just going to like fight through the all of Target every single time we go? Or are we going to train them with some financial responsibility or some ideas of how we can make it through yeah, Target without totally. this tension and this pain that stabs me deep in my heart and soul? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think you enjoyed it. We have so many practical things from this. Um, if you enjoyed this conversation, and you need to have more conversations with your partner. I think what, one thing that uh, Todd said at the end is like, okay, first phase is probably to plan a date night. The second phase is like, what came out of that date night? Like, did, what did you talk about? Did you really connect with your partner in some way? These cards do this. We've shared some other cards at different at times, but these ones are really good. Last night we did it. We had great conversation. It's, it spurred on a bunch of, honestly, probably pain points that we needed to talk about. Um, and so go to defydrift.com, defydrift.com. And they come in this very cool, very cool leather yeah. pouch. I actually thought it was kind of cool when he said, I did this for the men because every marriage and partnership resource is pink. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> or just feminine is what you're saying. Yeah. I'm not saying that that pink is a gender color, but it is. I mean, it kind of, yeah. <laughs> it is not targeted at for men, for men. Yes. Often. So you did actually carry those cards yeah, into yeah. our restaurant and set into a very like masculine restaurant and set them on the table. You were proud. I was right. I was, they're cool. I was impressed. 
that, I mean, that all goes to Beverly with her marketing. Mm-hmm, totally. Savvy right there. That was very savvy. <laughs> well, everybody, we are so thankful you listened. And that's another episode of Love or Work. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Beverly. So many good things to learn from. We'll see you next week. This episode was produced by DJ Obdiggy for Soul Graffiti Productions.